0: you're listening to the Liberty Grace Church sermon podcast for more information visit libertygrace.ca this week I'm getting together with a friend of mine and uh, it's been a long time since we got together we're supposed to get together every month and uh, just because it's been so busy we have not seen each other for a while I don't know if you've had uh, catch up with a friend sometimes you get together and you say what's new And you kind of shrug and go, nothing. Nothing has changed. Uh, I got up in the morning. I worked. I got tired. I ate. I went to bed. Rinse, repeat. That's kind of like what life has been the past few months. But other times, you get together with a friend, and they say, what's new? And you say, how long have you got? Uh, Everything has changed. We need to block out some time. The next couple hours are going to be uh, interesting. Now we're going through the Bible. I think that you could say that we're going through periods of the Bible where what's new, what's changed? Well, for a while, nothing has changed. We've been in the reign of King David and King Solomon. And uh, believe it or not, this has been from the beginning of April until last Sunday. We've just been camping on the life of David and then the life of Solomon. And you would say, what's changed? Well. A little bit like there's stuff that happens there but david and solomon's reign is kind of a high almost stable point in scripture and uh you have the psalms you have the wisdom books you have the building of the temple you have the uh expansion of this uh nation of israel so it's been for a while believe it or not since april till now not a lot has changed it's been like Uh, sitting at a scenic mountain point, looking out at the view and saying, ah, this is nice. But those days are over now. (laughs) We are now in a new phase of the story. We are coming down from that scenic mountain view, and it gets a little bit interesting. Things are moving at a breakneck speed. Last week, hard to believe, we finished Ecclesiastes. And uh, this coming week's readings we discover a lot has changed. There's just so much that has happened. So Solomon has had a a son whose name is Rehoboam, and he's bungled things badly, so badly that the nation is split from being one United Kingdom into the northern nation of Israel and Judah to the south. So right away you have like, the days of prosperity of the United Kingdom are over, you've got a divided kingdom, things are not good. On the, south, on the south, you've got Rehoboam. On the north, you've got uh, Jeroboam. And Jeroboam has got a problem. Uh, the temple is in the south. And so Jeroboam introduces idol worship. Basically, he says, we need uh, to save you from going down to Jerusalem. So we're going to erect idols up here. You don't have to go down to Jerusalem, to the other kingdom. Uh, and that causes a great divide between the two kingdoms. So they're not getting along. And then you have what is exhausting if you've ever read this far in the Bible. You've got this king came into power and they were bad and they were worse than their father and they reigned X number of years and they died. And then their son became king and they were even worse than their father and they reigned for so many years and they died. Between Solomon and now, it's only been 60 years, but you've got three kings in Judah, only one of whom was good. And you've got seven kings in Israel, all of whom were bad. So if you do the math, you've got 10 kings. How many were good? One. One. That is not good. This is not a good scene. Divided kingdom, most of the kings are bad. Between Solomon and the king we're looking at today, uh, things are going downhill. And so today we get to a story that took place 60 years after Solomon died. A lot has happened, things are going downhill and things don't look right, and then we get to this story. So here is this story, and we're going to camp here uh, with this king. His name is uh, Ahab, and do you have to guess whether this guy is good or not? Listen to this verse and what it describes of Ahab. In the 38th year of King Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Amri, began to reign over uh, Israel, and Ahab, the son of Amri, reigned over Israel and, uh, in Samaria 22 years. And here's what we know of Ahab. Uh, we don't have to guess. Here's what it says about Ahab. Ahab, the son of Amri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. He did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So right away you've got, like, this guy is... Uh, setting a record for being bad, like not just bad, but excessively bad, like worse than all the kings before him. What made him so bad? First uh, King 16 tells us, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, you remember Jeroboam set up false gods so they didn't have to go down to Jerusalem, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in those sins, he took for his wife Jezebel. Now to this day, I don't know anybody who calls their daughter Jezebel. Like, Jezebel is, is basically the, like the worst name you could call uh, a woman. It's like, if you call somebody Jezebel, this is to this day, this is how wicked this woman is, that even in a culture today where people don't know the Bible, people still know, oh, Jezebel, that doesn't sound good. If you call somebody a Jezebel, that's an insult. He married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, And went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal and the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab built an Asherah. And then here's what it says. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Sixty years. It's only been 60 years. You go from Solomon, who I know was mixed, but a lot of good. Only 60 years to this guy who is like setting records for evil, who is just like provoking the Lord to anger. This is scathing. The Bible does not prevent this guy and like he has his good parts, but he also had these negative parts. This is a guy who is bad all the way through. He's building altars for other gods. Uh, You've got a queen, Jezebel, who's killing off the Lord's prophets. You've reached a crisis point among God's people. But there's a sign of hope. And there's always a sign of hope. As bad as things get, chapter 17, a prophet shows up. What is a prophet? Uh, a lot of people think prophets are you know, uh, telling the future. In the Bible, that's, prophets can do that, but usually what prophets are doing is actually saying, hey, remember God? Hello, remember God? They're not necessarily predicting what will happen most of the time, they're saying, They're sent by God as an act of mercy to say, hey, things are bad. I want to draw your attention to what matters most. Remember God, things are bad. Remember God. I'm here to shake, to get in your face, to wave my arms and say, you're forgetting something important. You're forgetting God. And as bad as things get, God sends his prophet Elijah. And he, as we're going to see today, he waves his arms in front of this evil king and says, hello, do you remember... God, I'm here to remind you of God. Now, this lesson is not just a lesson of kings who lived a long time ago and uh, did bad things. I think today's passage has two questions that we need to ask ourselves. Uh, The two questions that Ahab faced through Elijah are questions that you and I have to face as well. And so in case you're here today saying, Who cares? Like, this happened a long time ago. Good king, lots of bad kings, a really, really bad king. Who cares? There's two questions that this story has for you and for me. And here are the two questions. I think they're, like, they're so relevant to each of us today. Here is the first. Are you paying attention to what your pain might be telling you? That's the first question that This passage is asking us, are you paying attention to what your pain might be telling you? So here's why I say this text is asking this. Ahab is really bad, right? Elijah shows up, and he, first thing we see when he shows up, Elijah gets no introduction, he just shows up. And it says in chapter 17, verse 1, the first verse that Elijah shows up, Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, uh, said to Ahab, these are the opening words. But By the way, try this. Like, I don't think Elijah read How to Win Friends and Influence People because uh, he shows up before this evil king who, and Jezebel is like killing prophets. So think about Elijah just showing up. I, I, I have to go before this evil king. The first thing he says is this. He shows up before him and says, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Okay, so again, that is like dangerous to say this. This is devastating. They needed dew and rain. If they didn't get any rain, it would be devastating for Ahab's kingdom. Uh, in a month, we're going camping, and uh, I can't wait. And already we're checking the camp website to see if there's uh, uh, any alerts. And so far, uh, there's a no-burn advisory at that campsite, which we're kind of thinking, if that's there a month from now, we're not going. So we're praying, Lord, send rain on like North Bay. Not here, on North Bay area. Sorry, Michelle. Uh, Condolences, but maybe they'll be glad they want rain up there. If you picture what Ontario would be like if you didn't get rain for a period. Of, like these forest fires that are whipping through, it is not good, right? We just hear of uh, like, when it gets dry, things get bad, things get bad. Now, here's the thing, if it doesn't rain here, we're still kind of okay. Because there's California and there's Mexico and there's South America. We, I just go to the grocery store and it's like, my banana was grown and who knows where or my this strawberry was grown in California, like if it doesn't rain here, it's still okay. For them, if it didn't rain, it was game over. Their economy would tank, people would die, people would go hungry, like the whole system would collapse. We read later that this drought lasted three years and six months. Can you picture what life would be like there? Three years and six months without rain. No dew, no rain, no nothing. That means nothing was growing. It means people were, like, not only were the crops failing, but you'd have to conserve water for everything. This was bad. And Elijah stands up and says, God is sending you a message, and it's going to hurt because of your sin. Everything depended on getting rain. Now, the question we have to ask is, why would Elijah make a threat like this? Why would Elijah stand before the king? I mean, today we would separate weather patterns from God, right? God's up there doing God stuff. Weather is weather completely separate from God. They did not believe that back then. We shouldn't believe that today. God is actually in control. It's not like God has just set this world to run by itself. God is intricately involved with even things like rain. Why would Elijah make a threat like this? Because he knew the Bible. In Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 11, this is what God had told Israel. Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Why? Because the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. Again, what was a prophet? A prophet was not a foreteller as much as a prophet was somebody who was saying, remember what God said? Do you remember God said that if you do this, the consequence will be no rain? So Elijah stands before Ahab and just says, Ahab, remember what Moses said in Deuteronomy? That's going to happen now. And here's what's interesting. Uh, In James, which is in the New Testament, James says that Elijah was a man with nature like ours. In other words, he was no different from you and me. But this is interesting. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three three and a half years, it did not rain on the earth. And so James adds another layer. Not only did Elijah know that God had threatened this, but Elijah was just like you. He didn't have any special powers. But as soon as he was done saying this to Ahab, he's like going back to his room and saying, now God, please, don't send rain. Uh, I'm... And, and James says, we ought to pray the same way. We ought to be bold enough to come to God with the promises of God and say, God, we're claiming these promises you've said in your word. Now we're pleading with you to honor your word. And so what do we learn here? Here's what I think we learn. God is very good at getting our attention. This judgment was actually a mercy from God. In fact, you remember I said 60 years ago Solomon was on the throne not that long ago? Solomon himself said, when heaven is shut up and there's no rain because they've sinned against you, we should come pray in this place and acknowledge your name and turn from our sin. Uh, when you afflict them here in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way which they should walk and grant rain upon your land which you've given to your people as your inheritance. In other words, uh, Solomon himself had seen that this day was going to come and said the solution was to turn back to God and repent and God would relent. In other words, was God being mean in doing this to Ahab? God was actually being very kind to Ahab. God was sending his discipline in order to get his attention so that he would return back to God. It was the kindness of God that warned Ahab of this impending disaster and pointed the way back to uh, restoration again. And the question Ahab faced was this, would he learn from God's discipline? Would he read the Bible and understand that God actually disciplines his people to get our attention so that it begins to hurt and we turn back to God and say, God, this hurts so much, my only hope is you. The question for us likewise is, will we pay attention to what God is teaching us through the various crises of our lives? Uh, I have lived through God's discipline. Uh, I have lived through periods of, of great trial and I can't always explain what God is doing, but I will tell you this. I believe that many, listen, if you have followed Jesus Christ, he is not condemning you. He is not punishing you. The reason we know that is the punishment for your sins has been fully paid by Jesus on the cross. He is not punishing you. There is no need to punish you. Your sins have been paid for in full, past, present, and future but here's what we know about God. God has no problem disciplining his people, and his agenda in discipline is not to punish them, but to get their attention and say, turn to me. I will use pain if necessary in your life to get your attention to turn back to me. Hebrews 12 says that God disciplines us for our good so that we might share his holiness. Friends, Never miss what God is up to when you suffer. Never miss what God could be up to when it hurts in your life. It could be that God is trying to get your attention. It could be that God is is trying to bring you to a point where you turn to him and say, "Uh, God, I forgot. I've got to turn back to you. You've designed this uh, because you're gracious enough to get me to need you again. The pain in your life might actually be a gracious gift designed by God to bring you to him. Ahab never learned, and the question is, will you learn? Do not miss the lessons your pain could be teaching you. Pay attention to what the suffering that you're going through might be teaching you. God can use the pain to bring the change that he desires in your life to bring you to repentance. God cares far more about your eternal condition that he does your comfort Um, God has no problem bursting through the comfort of your life to get your attention so that you pay attention to what ultimately matters so that's the first question you face will you pay attention to the pain in your life the lesson that God sent just as God sent this drought to Ahab God might be sending sometimes his discipline on us to get our attention to grow us in holiness okay so that's the first question I hope you'll consider that. This might be relevant to many of us right now. You might be thinking, what has God been up to? Like, why has it been hurting so much lately? I don't know the answer to that, but it could be that it's God's way of shaking you, of grabbing you to get your attention, to draw you back to him. But here's the second question. This one might be a little bit more enigmatic at first, but uh, hear me out. The second question is this. Will you pay attention to what your gods can't do for you will you pay attention to what your gods can't do for you so you remember I said uh, drought right no rain for three and a half years I think part of that was uh, God's discipline on Ahab like Ahab pay attention like I promise this this is my way of getting you to own up to what you're doing it's wrong it was designed to as discipline to get Ahab's attention You know, there's another level that you wouldn't know unless you knew a little bit about history back then. Uh, Who was the god that Ahab was worshipping? Anyone remember? Baal. What was Baal god of? God of rain. So Elijah's saying basically, hey, you know you're worshipping Baal instead of God? There's going to be no, as long as you're worshipping the god of rain, there's going to be no rain for three and a half years. And Ahab's going, what do you mean? I worship the God of rain. Of course there's going to be rain. And Elijah's like, there's not. And what he was doing there was he was showing uh, Ahab the futility of worshiping the God of rain because anybody but the Lord can do nothing for you. Uh, The God of rain, Baal, could not deliver on his promise. Steffi read tonight a passage that really upped the ante So not only was, like, you think three and a half years of, like, uh, I picture, I can't, I don't know that this happened, but I picture Elijah once in a while going, how's the, like, how's the God of rain doing? Like, you know, (laughs) Ahab, like, uh, it's a bit dry around here. Like, I don't know what happened. I kind of picture maybe there might have been a little bit of that going. But in chapter 18, he challenges Ahab to get together 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. So 850, Asherah was Baal's female consort. And this was gonna be a showdown to see who is going to deliver. Is it gonna be your gods? Is it gonna be the gods that you worship? Or is it gonna be the Lord that comes through? And he sets up a challenge. And if you look at this, it is not a fair challenge. Because on one hand, you've got 850 people and you've got uh, two gods. You've got Baal and Asherah. On this side, you've got one lonely prophet. And as you're going to see, Elijah actually stacks the odds against him. And so Elijah says to these 850, he says, call on the name of your God, and I'm going to call on the name of, of the Lord. And the one that answers by fire, he is God. He wanted to show that the God of, who couldn't make it rain also couldn't even light a fire. And so they kill a bowl, they put it on the altars. Uh, And then it's actually comical because, but sad, it's sadly comical. From morning till noon, they call, the 850 call on the name of Baal, and Baal doesn't answer. And at noon, Elijah actually begins to mock them, like bad mocking them, like is your God in the bathroom right now? Like maybe should we wait somebody knock to make sure that Bail's okay. Like, and things get so desperate that they're actually it's gruesome. They're cutting themselves with swords. And it ends with tragic words. As midday passed, they raved on till the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered, no one paid attention. I would challenge you to underline that in your Bible, verse twenty-nine of chapter eighteen. No one answered, no one paid attention. What this verse tells us is if you worship anyone other than the Lord, you're on your own. If you worship your career, and you one day cry out to your career for salvation, it will not answer. It will not pay you attention. If you worship, I mean, last week we heard a sermon about this, right? All the things, uh, wine and pleasure and work and wisdom. If you worship any of those things, if you make them ultimate in your life, and you cry out to them like, Work, save me, or my wealth, save me, or whatever it is that becomes more important than God. Verse 29 is basically saying, on the day that you cry out to any of these things, they're not gonna answer you. They're not gonna pay attention. They will let you down. Every God other than the true God will let you down in the hour of need. They won't answer. They won't pay attention. The lesson here is we're all religious. Everybody in this world is religious. We all worship something. Or somebody. There's only one that we can worship that will never let us down. Whatever you worship other than the Lord, it will not answer. It will not pay you attention. Whatever you worship other than God will let you down. But the Lord will never let you down. Elijah, after he's done saying, Your God can't answer. Your God of rain can't make it rain. He can't light a fire. 850 of you. None of you can get this God to answer. And then he takes his altar, and he's all by himself. You can picture everybody's looking. And he uh, pours water all over this altar. And so it's like, they can't get it to light on fire. And Elijah's there, like, more water. Like, let's drench this. Like, let's just make sure that nobody thinks that I've got, like, a trick up my sleeve. Like, there's not a chance that there's, like these guys had every benefit this is not going to work and he cries out and he says "O lord god of abraham isaac and israel let it be known this day that you are god in israel and i'm your servant that i have done all these things answer me answer me that these people might know that you O lord are god and that you've turned your hearts back and then we read the fire the lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust that licked up the water that was in the trench and all the people saw it and they fell on their faces and said The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Friends, pay attention to what your pain is teaching you. It could be that your pain is trying to get your attention to uh, reveal to you that it's actually God that that is, you've turned your back on him. God is trying to get you to pay attention to him. But friends, also pay attention to what your gods can't do for you. If you put your trust in anyone other than the Lord, you're just gonna be dancing around like trying to get it to work. And what a sad picture, right? You're just going to be doing everything you can to make whatever it is you've turned to other than God. You're going to be spending all your energy trying to make that work. And it's going to be like, where is it? It's not showing up for you. And then the Lord over here is going to show up in power. He's the one that we need. He's the one that we're looking for. He's the one who alone deserves our worship because there's nobody else like him. And so the two questions we face are, Uh, Will you pay attention to the pain in your life? And will you pay attention to the futility of worshiping or putting your value in anything other than God because it will let you down? The worst king has so much to teach us. By his grace, God used Elijah to help Ahab face these two questions. Now, unfortunately, Ahab never answered well. Ahab missed the point. Ahab didn't learn the lesson that God wanted him to The question is, will you, will I? The great news is God does not uh, do this to punish us. He does it because of his great mercy revealed to us in Jesus. Um, God is at work drawing you to Jesus uh, to remind you of the Savior who loves you so much that he died for you, who welcomes you back. He never, the thing I love about God is he never, uh, when you return to him in repentance, he never says, well, hold on. Like, let's talk about what we did wrong first. God welcomes us with open arms back into his arms. Our sins are forgiven. He, he welcomes us back. His agenda is for you to know his love and his grace and to turn from the things that are holding us captive to his marvelous love. Friends, will we answer these questions better than Ahab? I hope so. Lord, help us not to miss these lessons. I thank you that you are not punishing us If we have trusted Jesus, Lord, the punishment has been paid. Jesus Christ has already borne the punishment for our sins. But Lord, you would discipline us. Uh, It might be that today you're trying to get our attention. Uh, You're trying to just uh, grab us and say, don't miss my grace. Don't start worshiping things that don't matter. They will let you down. And so, Lord, would you draw us to you? I pray, I thank you for persisting and showing us your grace. Give us hearts to hear, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.